Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Well, Veterans Day is coming up. And some of the people I care about most are veterans. And I always feel compelled when November 11th comes to show my genuine gratitude for the service, the sacrifice, the contribution that our people in the military make to our country. Now, In researching what I would do today, what I would try to do today, I wanted to have a guest, a veteran who had served. And fortunately, I came across someone quite unexpectedly, and he consented to be my guest today. But in addition to him, who I will introduce shortly, I came across an article entitled Five Facts to Know About Veterans Day. This article was written by Katie Lang in 2018 and posted on the U.S. Department of Defense website. Now, although we consider Veterans Day a well-known American holiday, Ms. Lang clarified a few misconceptions that Americans have about the day set aside to honor those who served and have served in the United States military. So thank you, Katie Lang, for the following five facts about Veterans Day. Veterans Day does not have an apostrophe. It's not veterans apostrophe S. It's veterans S at the end, no apostrophe. It's inclusive, all veterans. Veterans Day is not the same as Memorial Day. Memorial Day was set aside to remember those who gave their lives in battle or from wounds they suffered in battle. Three, it was originally called Armistice Day, commemorating the end of World War II. Now, for some inexplicable reason, the bill that created or the recognition for Veterans Day as a holiday commemorated the fourth Monday of every October as the day to acknowledge and remember our veterans. 
But on June 1st, 1954, Congress amended the commemoration and changed the word from armistice to veterans. So the day would honor American veterans of all wars. Now, other countries celebrate Veterans Day too in their own ways. And some of those countries are Canada, Australia, and Great Britain. Veterans Day honors all of those who served the country, our country, in war or peace, dead or alive, although it's largely intended to thank living veterans for their sacrifices. Thank you for all of our veterans, including, but not limited to, Eric Miller, Rodney Abrams, Dita Rosellen, and today's guest, Earl L. Jones. Earl and I, as I said, met for the first time virtually just last week. I was looking for a guest for my annual show that focuses on veterans' employment and civilian career challenges, and Earl generously agreed to be my guest. Welcome, Earl, and thank you for your service. Beverly, thank you, and you are welcome. Serving in the United States Army is a privilege, and and I'm grateful that I had the privilege to serve this country. It was really it's all fun. It was so much fun. Oh, you brought me back down memory lane. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything you want to share with us? You know, the reality of the situation is that being a veteran has really changed my life and the, tra- the trajectory of my life in ways that I just never thought was possible. It gave me clarity. It taught me character. It taught me ethics. It taught me, you know, how to lead without always being an out in front. Taught me that I don't need a person's permission in order to be the best version of me. Being a veteran also taught me that, you know, serving one's country in the terms of military is the highest level of service one can do for their country. Yes, it's great that, you know, I can, you know, get a job and hire folks and all that other great stuff. But at the end of the day, to be willing to, you know, put your life on the line for the defense of your country and for others, I don't think there's any greater calling that exists. So well put, Earl. So well put. Why don't you describe your employment journey? Oh, girl, how much time do we have? (laughs) Well, I mean... We've already acknowledged that both of us are talkers. We are talkers, yes. As I told you, well, considering that this is the name of the podcast is Your Employment Matters, we need to focus on employment, both your employment and, you know, what you're, you're passionate about in terms of helping veterans. Well, so my employment has been pretty much sales, sales oriented, banking since I've been in banking for a long time until 2017, I was in banking. And let me tell you, oh, when the thrill is gone, when the heartache is over, everybody comes to the bank, right? (laughs) Like, I hate to say it, but when the body's cold in the grave, before the body's even cold in the grave, people are at the bank. Everybody's at the bank. Um, And within that banking industry, because of my military background, I took the responsibility of keeping myself 
transformed, for lack of a better word, kept redefining myself, kept like, you know, growing and looking at what was, you know, where things were headed. So I started off as a personal banker inside of a grocery store back home in St. Louis. Then I got moved to a branch. Within that branch, I was like, okay, it's great that I'm a personal banker and I need to add additional skill sets. So I got licensed to sell annuities so that, you know, again, making myself valuable. I started taking on community outreach programs like Junior Achievement and stuff like that. Because again, I wanted to make sure that I was in alignment with the corporation's, you know, mission, not just in terms of hitting sales numbers, but what we were giving back to the community. But let me just interrupt you for a minute because you said you were making yourself valuable. That may be true, but you were also doing something equally important. You were making yourself marketable. Well, yes, I was making myself marketable because then while I was started in banking, once I got my license, then I got my master's degree. Once I got my master's degree, so many more doors opened, right? In St. Louis, where I'm originally from, you know, the percentage of Americans that have master's degrees is super low. So once I got that master's degree, it allowed me to move into what was, you know, better known as B2B sales. And I started off selling uh, postal meters. And that's business to business, right? Business to business, yes. And once I learned that skill of business to business sales, then it was easier to get into higher level banking roles, right? Because now you're selling bank products to other businesses. And that's what I did before I started my own insurance agency in December 2017. But yeah. But all of that came because I was in the army. And in the army, you know, I was one of those soldiers who quickly learned that you get ahead by being responsible for your own growth and development. If nobody wants to always tell grown folks what to do, they don't. And that's how I was trained in the army. You see a problem, you go solve it. If there's something that you want, you go make it happen. I mean, we had access to trainings and resources that are free. So I would take advantage of those corresponding trainings. Uh, Before I got out of the Army, I was about ready to get another MOS, which is Military Occupational Specialty, because I was enlisted. So I just continued to carry that on. Fast forward, now I own an insurance agency, right? And again, I find myself, you know, recognizing that It is personal growth and development that leads to the creation and transformation, right? It is learning how to think differently, learning how to see things differently, learning how to make yourself valuable, not just to the business, but to your clients. Mm. You know, because at the end of the day, if you, you can have a great product, and if you do not know how to connect with people and talk to people, and demonstrate value, price is always going to be what you sell on. And even though I'm in the insurance industry, I refuse to sell on price. Refuse. You're saying some of the things that I've thought, that I've written about. Personal growth is your responsibility. It's an individual's responsibility. You can't be anointed because you may never get the call. (laughs) You may never. Be anointed. You have to anoint yourself. You have to prepare yourself 
to make yourself more valuable, to make yourself more marketable, to make yourself more knowledgeable. That is true. And since you mentioned the word anointed, and um, nowhere in scripture do we see God telling Moses, you know, not to be prepared. We don't see that with the 12 disciples. We don't see any of, of that. You know, even when the, the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, it still took action on her part in order to get the healing, right? And I think one of the things that we struggle with in this country is that we're so used to microwaves and fast food, we just think that everything is just going to come to us. And I've come to realize that is just honestly not true. Because I used to think that, right, when I was younger. I used to honestly think that. But then I've come to realize that, nope, when the children of Israel was getting ready to go into battle, there was always preparation, right? And it was never the same type of preparation each time. When they crossed the Red Sea, preparation. There's, they, you know, yeah. Well, they have- I, don't think, I don't think people are always, well, I know. People tend not to be objective about themselves, their talents, their capabilities, what they're ready for, what they, whether they're prepared for the next step. They may think that because so many months or years have passed that it's time for them to be promoted. But do you have measurables? Do you have concrete achievements that you can turn to and say, I've done this, I've done this, I've made this better, I helped turn this around? What is it? It's not just coming to work every day for three, five years, and now you're ready for a promotion. Or you think that you're overdue for a promotion because it's been three or five years. And I think we need to be more realistic about what the objective is. If the objective is being promoted, is to get promoted, what must you do to achieve that goal? And a lot of people depend on their supervisors to tell them what they need to do. And arguably, they, the supervisors should assume that responsibility. But everyone's not a good super. Everyone who is a supervisor is not an effective supervisor. So you go wait for the supervisor to tell you what you have to do. Go to the supervisor. Ask the supervisor. This is my career plan. This is where I'd like to see myself in five years. What can I do here to move in that direction? And see what the supervisor says. Yes, that is true. And I am guilty of having done the opposite of that. Because I, you brought me back to my early years in banking. And I used to think just like that. It was like, well, I've been sitting here doing this job. And even though I am a top producing person, I could not articulate that I was 120% above quota, that I, you know, generated, you know, $1.5 million in new, you know, DDA dollars, that I have closed, you know, $420,000 in loans, that I have supervised and trained five tellers, that I am responsible for you know, managing the schedule within, you know, budget. I could not articulate that when I was younger. Even when I, even now as a business owner, I still struggle with articulating quantitatively what I bring to the table because of inherited conversations, the way that, you know, the environment that you grew up in and the way that you were 
you know, taught to talk to people is that you don't brag. We are conditioned to not brag, but yet we want the six figure salary. We want the, you know, we, we want the corner office, but yet the person that has the corner office thinks differently than the person who does not have the corner office. And it was at a James Arthur Ray training event called Harmonic Wealth, where I discovered that the biggest reason why I was achieving the results that I was had achieved in B2B sales, business to business sales, is because I was starting to talk to business owners in quantitative ways that they understood that what I sold to them impacted their bottom line. You're right. It's that bottom line for profits making um, enterprises. Correct. You've got to hit the bottom line. You've got to affect positively. Yeah. That bottom line. And then the second thing that I remember, you know, is that once I had discovered that, then I started to notice and that my managers, as they were higher up in the chain, all they talked about was what are the results? What's the interpretation of the results? Right. Numbers. Numbers. That's all they talked about. They did oh, not. Oh, wait. And, and that's just for the, the, the listeners. You may hear it instead of numbers, metrics. Yes, metrics. What are the metrics? What are the metrics? Our goals, let's just say it's a call center. Our goal is 800 dials a day. Out of those 800 dials a day, we anticipate that you will talk to 80 clients. Out of those 80 clients, you will have eight appointments because that's what the metrics say. That's all they think about. But the thing is trying to get the worker or the employee to transfer their thinking of, I just have a job to do, into, you know, these are my metrics. This is how I measured, right? And when I talk to my boss, I doubt I'm on the, the boss doesn't want to hear I'm on the phone all day. The boss wants to hear, I made 800 dials today. I had 80 conversations. I, I scheduled 10 appointments. And then when you do the extra math to go, 10 is greater than two. So now you're what, a hundred and 20% above your projected quota because you made 10 appointments if I did the math right. Yeah. 120% above quota for the day sounds better than I've been on the phone all day. Exactly. But well, if you don't know what the, you know, I call it the rules of engagement. And someone said to me, but that's a, that's a military term and it, it sounds like it's, it refers to war. I said, well, you know, I don't mean any harm, but as far as I'm concerned, it is a battle. It's a battle to become successful. And the rules, you have to know what the rules of engagement are. And many people don't know. If you work for any company, whether it's small, large, medium, there are go- usually there are goals and objectives. And if you positively affect your employers, your supervisors, goals and objectives, you should be able to see an appreciable increase in your paycheck. If you don't, then you need to go in and talk to your boss. That is true. You hit the nail on the head because um, I'm reminded of when I was in banking at a major bank and I went to my boss you know, and I just looked her in the face. I said, I don't understand your compensation plan. And she was like, what? 
I was like, I know my compensation plan. I have this amount of lending that I need to hit. I have to hit this amount of new DDA dollars, checking accounts, savings accounts, uh, deposit demand accounts. I have this many credit cards I have to get, and I have this many ancillary you know, products and services that I need to achieve every quarter. And I said, but I don't know how my numbers impact your numbers. And I said, I don't think anybody on our team knows. She looked at me like I had eight horns coming out of my head because she was like, nobody has ever asked me what what are my numbers. And I said, so I need to know where are you falling short as the leader of this group? Because I've already hit my numbers for the quarter. I can literally stop working right now. And she said, well, I need, I need 16 credit cards, business credit cards approved and issued. She said some, some number like that. And we still had like several months left. So I sent an email out to the team and I said, this is how many credit cards that we know wasn't 16. It was like eight. And I told the team what she needed. Do you know that we, we got those eight? We got those eight for her. And because we got that eight, she qualified for a bonus. Now, some people would say that I was kissing up and I was sucking up. But in reality, I was demonstrating I am irreplaceable. They call it initiative. I mean, no, I was demonstrating that I'm irreplaceable, that I'm valuable. That's right. No, you're right. Because even though there were times where, you know, I act now, I will confess, uh, you know, I have my moments and I'm human and God knows I've made my mistakes. But it's harder to get rid of a person that makes mistakes, that, you know, act a fool when that person has taken the initiative to understand how to impact their manager's bottom line. And that's what I'm saying. That's the driver. You want to be, if not irreplaceable, you want to be seen as an asset, not as a nice to have, or maybe I could do what I could do without this person. That is true. And then without even asking, she bumped my pay rate. She bumped my base salary up by more than $10,000. I'm telling you, it works. It does work. But that goes back to growth and development. That goes back to, you know, taking time out, you know, reading books, investing in your own growth and development, which goes back to my days in the Army. The biggest reason why I was so awesome in the Army is because of the fact that, you know, one of my NCOs, non-commissioned officers, pulled me off to the side very early in my Army career and said, you always take the initiative and you study and you learn things. And that is how you demonstrate value. I had gotten to the point, and, and, and this was as when I started as an E1, E2, so basic private, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, oh, yeah. By the time when I got out of the Army as a specialist, now, I, I didn't stay in long enough to become an NCO, but a lot of senior officers and non-commissioned officers were celebrating me and were congratulating me and saying, thank you so much, because I just took the time to take the initiative and just understand that, you know, I must be known as a person that's reliable and dependable, right? That doesn't mean I don't have problems. That doesn't mean that I don't have my my mess ups, my, my drama. And it, and when I do have those challenges, I just admit it. I just own it. I just take full responsibility for it. And I just look people in the face and go, I will fix it. I will get it resolved. Yeah. And they just look at me like, where is he from again? (laughs) No, seriously. If you can make yourself 
viewed as an asset, an asset to your employer, your, your supervisor, an asset to your team, someone that your coworkers in, like working with and will go to you or come to you for support, for information. It, it's, it just makes for a better working environment. One of the things that I find, at least in the workplaces that I've been in before COVID, there was a lack of civility. There was a lack of respect for coworkers, between coworkers. And, and you know, the, I didn't understand that. That was not my experience in the time that I worked in corporate America, a nonprofit. I, I just, that would, people were civil. Mm-hmm. And now I I see that they're not. They're not as civil as I think they need to be. But what they don't realize is you can you can conduct yourself in that fashion and you may not get any pushback to your face. Right. But behind closed doors, they're thinking to themselves, do I need to keep this person here? Or is this person an asset that I need? Because if I don't need this person, I really don't want this person working here. That is true. And eventually they will move you out. You will find, you will hear words like, we've decided to go in another direction. We're going to do a restructuring over here. Uh, We're going to reorganize this team. And you're going to be out of a job. That is true. I am, you know, in my early years, I will confess, I was that problem. You know, I like I said, like I said, I don't deny that I did not have my challenges, especially in my earlier years, my first couple of years in banking, because I just didn't understand. I just didn't get it. But I didn't know. You didn't know. I did not know. Right. And I'm just going to say this, you know, it's a young inherited conversation. Because, you know, people act based upon, subconsciously, they act based upon the environments in which they grew up in, right? And they respond to circumstances and situations, regardless of whether it's at work or whether it's at the bowling alley, based upon how they dealt with that same or similar situation when they were five, four, six, eight, nine, ten, right? We don't even know that we do it. It's it's so ingrained in us. But as I got better at investing in my growth and development, right? I, things got easier. I still made my mistakes. I still had, you know, managers that I didn't like. I had managers that I absolutely loved and adored. Some of them I stay in communication with. But yeah, I, I just look back on that time in my younger years where I'm like, man, it, that's one of the biggest reasons why I get my, my youngins, my, my nieces and my nephews and my cousins. That's why I was trying to introduce them to like, personal growth and development at a very young age so that they can retrain themselves to think differently. So they don't have to make the same mistakes that I've made or make, you know, mistakes that get them left behind. Because at the end of the day, people want to work with who they like, right? Exactly. Because because I've learned the hard way that it's not enough to go to school and get a college education. I now live in the Bay Area where I have seen with my own two eyes people that have more education and, you know, can probably program a computer to walk down the street and pick up me a Pepsi from 7-Eleven. However, they will never be in management. They will never be in leadership. 
and you know and they're just left in the corner to go work because that's what they have demonstrated for their organization that that's what they're good for well and you know the sad thing is that they don't recognize that they put themselves in that box right that their limitations are as a result of their lack of because they failed to pursue the information that was readily available to them. You know, you can't stand in place and expect to move forward when other people around you are doing, are acquiring more knowledge, doing things to enhance their marketability and to have them viewed as assets, team members that are productive and who help move the needle from one side to the other, you know, in Mm -hmm. an upward trajectory. If you're not doing that, why keep you? You know, they can, they can find someone else who might do better and they will. And they will. And they will. But yeah, that's my career path. And, you know, and I want to make sure that your, your, your listeners understand something. It, I've gotten to where I've gotten in life because of growth and development, because of learning to look at things differently, learning to let go of a victim mindset. I used to have such a, you know, that mindset, especially in my 20s, you know, and it took time. But uh, Earl, it took time. But to your credit, it took work. It did took work. I did put the work in, you know, I have, you know, and some of these courses I revisit, I invest in myself. I believe it was Grant, Grant Cardone has a YouTube video out that talks about, you know, people are willing to spend $500 on a shoes and purse, you know, and a night out, but won't take that same $500 and buy a course that can give them a new way of thinking, a new set of skills that could benefit them for the rest of their lives. And I I think that comes from the fact that we, as a society, we're spoiled because we're so used to, I can go to the drive-thru and get something to eat for a family of 15 in less than 10 minutes. I can make a whole meal in the microwave. You know, the customer's right mentality. We, At some point in time, somewhere along the way, we as a society, we've learned to tolerate our imperfections and we've come to to look at our ingenuity is you know can i can i get me a car that you know can drive itself well i think i think what we've come to is that we and this is not just young people this is people generally this is people in general yeah if they put in the time they think they're supposed to be some reward Oh, yes, yes. They're not looking at what they're doing. They're doing what is asked of them, and they've been doing it consistently for whatever the period of time. They think that they deserve a reward. Ah, yes. Now, the fact that they performed at a satisfactory level is lost on them. They're not shooting for that exceptional, oh, oh excellent. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And if they're doing that, they should get a raise. They should be promoted. Why not? Oh, no, it was one. And there was a time when that was true. Yeah. I had a mentor, a manager. Her name is Nina Seals, and she broke me of that. 
Oh, she broke me of that thinking. Ooh. That doesn't occur as much. It doesn't happen. You know, the, um, the you've worked here for five years, if, for three years, and, and you did a good you did a good job. I'm going to make you, instead of a, a clerk typist, now you are a senior clerk typist. Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. I had, yep, yep. Oh, yes, you just brought back some memories because she broke me of that thinking, you know. She was my but first manager. That was common thinking. You know, don't feel don't feel like the Lone Ranger. It was commonly that was a notion that was commonly held commonly held by employees all over the, at least the United States. You know, and the funny thing is that I had when you know I had an employee who asked me for a pay raise within the first three months of starting to work for me. And because, you know, I was paying him already at 20 bucks an hour, right? And I, it was salary plus commission. And he's, you know, he asked me for a pay raise. And I looked at him and I said, why? And, you know, his story was, I come here and I said, but you get here late. I said, how many, how many new auto insurance sales have you produced? You have a salary plus commission. You can give yourself a pay raise anytime that you want to. Why are you looking to me to give you a pay raise when I give you unlimited commissions, uncapped, like no limit? Right. And why it, not step up your game? Why not step up your game? And he looked at me like, I said, I have been in your shoes before. I have done the exact same thing. I said, however, I have learned that when you are in, regardless of whether you're in sales or not, you are the one that can give yourself a pay raise. Just start, you know, performing higher than what's expected of you. And it does not take much, I discovered. It takes effort, though. And they're not used to putting forth the effort because they haven't been trained to expect that that's what will be required. Correct. And so... You know, it's, yeah. it's, who's, I don't know who to lay blame, who's the to lay blame at, but you know what I'm saying? If you don't know, that's why in my book, one of the, one of the tips is, you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know and why you don't know it. And it sounds like double talk, but it's true. It is true. If you take a course called the Landmark Forum, they help people to see what they don't, help people to discover, you know, they call it blind spots. And they teach people how to, flip the mirror on themselves so they can see their blind spots because you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know. It's true. There are things that you know that you don't know. Like I know that I don't know how to be, you know, how to, you know, fly a plane or perform brain surgery or drive a boat. I know that I don't know that, but there are things that I don't know that I don't know. Right. And so, yeah, it is true. But in the end, that person, you know, that I was telling you about, in the end, he stepped up his game a little bit and then went right back into his old habits. You know, eventually he wind up leaving the company and um, bless his heart. You know, good for well, him. Good for him. Exactly. So now we're, we're almost, you know, we're close to the end. And I, and I, I wanted to ask you about your passion. When we met last week, I could tell that you were passionate about your support for veterans 
in in not only their quest for uh, employment, but their their quest for support and services. Because I am a veteran, right? And so it irritates me how, you know, the bureaucracy that veterans have to go through in order to get service for the services that they've rendered, you know, to the United States, right? It just irritates me. So, yeah, it's one of my passions. And yeah, I'm just going to stop here like, because that, that that can be a whole nother podcast of just tirade. I just think that it's, you know, I look at the United States and I say to myself, I'm like, we ask civilians to go into the military and become soldiers, right? We're not one of the countries that require people to go and join the military before they go off to college. Okay, got it. And we ask people to make the ultimate sacrifice. But yet when they come home, you know, if they've been exposed to war or conflict or whatever in the military, right? Because even though we're not in war, soldiers do experience a high-level stressful situation because they're, they're always constantly getting trained to be combat ready. But when they come back home, they don't get the readily accessible care and support that they need in order to transition back into civilian life. Because as quiet as it's kept, civilian life is different than military life. So I've heard. What can people do to support veterans more? Well, what the individual person can do, you know, to support veterans more is, you know, just say, let the veteran know that, hey, I'm here. I'm willing to help you. And, and then ask them, like, what does help look like for you, right? Because veterans can be very proud people, right? When you learn how to repel out of a helicopter at, you know, 300 feet, you tend to feel very independent, right? Mm-hmm. Then from an organization standpoint of view, veterans, you know, or there are some organizations that specifically are recruiting for veterans. But even still, like training them to translate their military leadership into civilian leadership, some veterans can do it like that, right? There's just so much that can be done for veterans. But primarily, I think no veteran should ever be homeless. And no veteran veteran should ever be homeless in this country, period. And no veteran should, you know, suffer from mental health issues, or any type of health issues, none whatsoever. And I think the moment that we start to realize that we say our veterans are the best that America has to offer, then we must continue to live up to that that saying in the way that we treat them and care for them when they get back. I'm not saying that veterans should live in a $500,000 or a million dollar home. But what I am saying is that veterans should have a lot easier time to get access to the resources and tools necessary in order to thrive in society. Well, hopefully hearing this uh, podcast will at least give veterans, if veterans listen to it, some idea of what they can do as they look for a job. Right. Uh, if they send me, they can send me an email at BA Williams at your employment matters.com. That is true. And I'll do my best to help them with translating their military 
duties and responsibilities into legalese. I mean, Eng- well, English, and not legalese, English. English. Right. Because like legalese, yeah. English. Yes. And college, I wrote resumes, like like I told you, right? And mm-hmm. you my army veterans to, you know, to sit down with them and talk with them about their career and what they've done, and then translate that over into everyday English so that a person who's never served in the army can clearly see how an E4 can be qualified for a middle management position, right? Because that E4 is a, is a squad leader, department manager, responsible for a budget, let's say, of $200,000 or a million dollars a year for that squad, uh, responsible for the training growth to development of 15 people. But, you know, if you just say squat leader, nobody knows what a squat leader is. Let me ask you this. In um, the different branches of military service, is there a common language or common descriptions of what members of the military do? Yeah, there is. There's. It's pretty common. It's pretty much the same thing, you know, for the most part, with the exception of each branch of the military has their own unique spin on it. But for the most part, the infantry and the Marines, you know, pretty much do the same thing as the infantry and the Army. They are the frontline defense and they are trained to take out the enemy, right? And let me tell you, I love my infantry soldiers because those people taught me how to land navigate and how to do things that I just was struggling at in my primary leadership development course when I was in the Army. But it was my infantry soldiers that came to the rescue. Oh, I can talk about infantry soldiers all day because they are a very unique group of individuals that you spend 15 minutes with with them and they completely alter the way that you see the world because of their unique experience as as an infantry person, as an infantryman. Just incredible people. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have you back. Um, (laughs) If you're willing, if you're willing, Earl, I so appreciate you taking the time, especially on such short notice. I mean, we had a turnaround quickly. It wasn't it... It wasn't even a week ago that we met. Oh, no, it wasn't a week ago that we met. You know, what made me say yes is the fact that I remember, you know, being in my 20s, you know, working my very first corporate job in banking, you know, wearing a suit and tie every day. And I made so many mistakes. I've even gone back to my old manager and I apologized to him. I said, oh, my God, I owe you an apology because I you know, just treat it you like, like you were just supposed to know what's going on in my head, right? And I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, do you forgive me? <laughs> you know, but this is after I went to a personal development course and I could look back and I could see him like, oh, no wonder he thought I was crazy. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. He laughed and he was like, Earl, it's all good. I said, it's not all good because I now realize what I was putting you through. And I now realize the mistakes that I was making. And I now realize like what I was doing was creating a name for myself, a brand for myself as a, you know, as a troubled person, even though my sales was good, it was hard to get rid of me because you have a person who's producing results. Like, you know, I'm over 120% of quota every month. 
But you're not a joy to be around. But I'm not a joy to be around. So I want people to understand, like, there is a balance. Because just because you have excellent performance, you still have to manage your brand. You still have to manage the image and what you project, right? You don't want to be fake, right? And at the same time, you've got to learn to navigate the waters that you are in. And you got to learn to speak the language of the leadership of the people that make the decision, right? Because the truth of the matter is what I've discovered since I've started my own company, since I've been in, you know, six figures positions, is that people do talk about you in closed meetings. That's right. And when they talk about you in closed meetings, they first go by what's on paper. And if your manager has, and if your numbers and your performance is not up to par, then whatever your manager says after that can either hurt you or support you. Yeah, you know, Hamilton, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. You want to, I've been in the room where it happens. I represented Fortune 500 clients, companies. In the room where it happens, you hear the good, bad, and the ugly. People have no idea. They have no idea. They have all that in a bag of chips and they're not even the crumb. You're not even the crumb, you know, and it's happened to me. And I take full responsibility because I was responsible because I, I was responsible. Right. And it's happened to me. And then once I discovered that it was happening to me, I took on the mission of transforming myself to be a person, you know, within the organization that can reliably deliver that which makes a difference for people. I started. You're right. Personal brands can be rehabilitated. But the first step is to realize that that's what is needed. Correct. And so I changed. And then when I left the bank in 2017, people were like, why is Earl leaving? And I finished, you know, number 19 in the country. I even had to, you know, I mean, like I completely just transformed because I was like, oh my God, like I'm doing that. And it's little things like the way that you respond to people when they ask you a question, right? Yes. Like it's little thing because the thing I've discovered is that these people are with you more than eight hours a day. In some cases, your employees and your coworkers know you better than your wife, your husband. Yes. And when we start, you know, and what I discover is that we get comfortable around folks, regardless of where you're at, you get comfortable. That person who feels like they come in, they clock in, and they don't even say hi or hello to people, and they think they're just coming in to do a job. Oh, no, you're seen as a person who's combative, unsociable, unapproachable. Yes. No. The person who comes in and wants to make everybody laugh, you know, you're seen as a person, you're the jokester. But the person who comes in is, you know, contributes, asks questions, is approachable, let people talk to them, you know, understands that every now and then they've got to do something that's outside of their job description. Those are the people that folks go, oh, he's such a great guy. Yeah. Or she's you such know, a great guy. Being willing to help other people is the, is a, is a very uh, important attribute to have. You want to make a contribution to the team effort. And you can do that by stepping up and stepping in to help someone else, another team member. Another team member. And I'm going to leave you with this. But I, And a lot of people, 
you know, think that the promotion of the pay raise is always going to come from within the organization. No, because once you start to understand the value and you can start speaking in terms of quantitative results, your promotion may actually come from outside the organization by leaving. Exactly. You may have to leave and come back. You leave, get more money from another employer. But if you've done a good job at your first employer, they will want you back and they will pay you more money than the employer that you went to. That is correct. Because when I left... That's the way it works. That's the way it works. Because when I left bank number one to go to bank number two, my base salary was doubled. Yep. So it I happens. Went, it, it was doubled. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So, yes. All well, right, girl. <laughs> thank you so much. And listeners, if you would please consider buying your employment, my, my new book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. And please, if you would just leave a review for the podcast, Your Employment Matters, I would greatly appreciate it. Feedback is a gift. Negative feedback as well as positive feedback is appreciated. Thank you and please continue to listen. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.